0: In 2003, a new question was added to the annual survey of the NBA's general managers. Which player has the best court smarts? First place went to New Jersey Net superstar Jason Kidd, a Ballyhooed prospect out of high school, an All-American at Cal, and by this time, a six-time All-Star in the NBA. Second place went to Tim Duncan of the San Antonio Spurs, who put even Kidd's resume to shame two-time All-American at Wake Forest, two-time NBA champion, and two-time league MVP. But the third place finisher, unlike Kidd and Duncan, wasn't an obvious future first ballot Hall of Famer. Steve Nash had grown up in Canada, not exactly a basketball crazed country. He had attended Santa Clara University, known more for its contributions to Silicon Valley than to basketball, and it had taken him until his fifth season in the NBA to average more than 10 points per game, which barely clears the bar of average but Nash had carved out an important leadership role as a Dallas Maverick, and in the eyes of the league's GMs, had shown how a player lacking in classical athleticism, but versed in court smarts, could find success at the highest levels of the game. Here he is, speaking in the ESPN film Basketball, A Love Story.
1: I was always waiting for the defense to make a mistake and find someone for an easy shot. My last resort was to shoot. creating... You know? In a way, I was like an architect trying to solve a puzzle about space.
2: That
1: was really the way I saw the game.
2: Basketball has always shown a spotlight on the impressive physical properties of its players. Who can't help but marvel at Mo Bamba's ten wingspan, Zach Levine's 46-inch vertical, or John Wall flying to the basket in a supersonic blur. But there is a number that you won't be able to find on any scouting report or stat leaderboard, a player's basketball IQ, and it might be the most important metric of all. Or how else would Steve Nash, the 6'3 pride of Victoria, British Columbia, go on to win two MVP awards, rack up assist titles, and enter the Basketball Hall of Fame this past summer as one of the greatest point guards who ever lived? I'm Ben Shields.
0: I'm Paul Michaelman. And you are listening to CounterPoints, the sports analytics podcast from MIT Sloan Management Review. In this episode, the curious case of Steve Nash. And the elusive quest to measure basketball intelligence.
3: CounterPoints is brought to you by
0: Ticketmaster the world's leading ticketing software and services company. Ticketmaster is trusted by thousands of artists, teams, and venues across 29 countries, connecting more than 1 billion fans and powering half a billion tickets each year. That's 15 tickets per second to live events around the globe. So whether you're grabbing seats to a must-win game, catching the hottest show in town, or giving someone you love an experience they'll remember forever, head over to Ticketmaster for 100% safe, verified tickets to your next unforgettable event. Because live only happens once.
2: In each episode of CounterPoints, we look beyond the data in search of what the data reveals.
0: Or supposedly reveals.
2: About what's actually happening both on the field and off.
0: We put one analytics-based hypothesis to the test and see how well it stands up. Today's
2: hypothesis? NBA teams would make fewer draft mistakes if they measured basketball IQ.
0: Basketball IQ is one of the game's holy analytical grails. We know it's there or at least we think we know it's there, but we've never been able to put a gauge on it. And are we even sure what it's made of? Intuition, vision, knowledge of the game? Or is it simply natural intelligence and brain processing speed applied to a specific context? And that makes any hypothesis about basketball IQ especially challenging. Which brings us to Ben Alomar, former director of
2: sports analytics at ESPN, who is now a consultant working in the field. He is one of sport's leading proponents for, and experts in, basketball IQ. We asked Ben to defend the thesis, and we started with a definition.
1: The broad concept that I use, and and you can talk about uh, intelligence or basketball reflex or a variety of different words, but the general concept is that the very best players in the world can understand what's going to happen on the court before everybody else does. So they're not reacting to what's happening right now, they're reacting to what's going to be happening in two or three, four or five seconds. It's like a chess master who is thinking four or five, six moves ahead. Or as uh, Wayne Gretzky once said, you don't skate to where the puck is, you skate to where the puck is going to be. Uh, and that's that's what I'm trying I to try talk about uh, and try and measure when I'm talking about the basketball intelligence.
2: How do you measure basketball intelligence? I, I, I like the fact that you're starting to think about, well, How is that player going to be five, six, seven plays ahead of the competition? But how are you actually thinking about measuring that intelligence quotient?
1: Right. So we have, um, you can think about it in a, a, a variety of different ways. And most of the instruments to try and do it right now are actually pretty blunt. Like we're not going to get a precise measurement under most circumstances. However, we can start to measure and even if we can get a little bit of uh, understanding, a little bit of clarity into this question, that can help us make better decisions. So uh, the idea is this, you, looking at um, a lot of research, academic research around experts, we know is that experts in their field make decisions faster and more accurately than anybody else. So the if to take it right into sports, if you took a group of professional basketball players, and had them make basketball decisions about how something is happening on the court, they should be able to uh, make those decisions faster and more accurately than, than coaches, than fans, than anybody else. And so, one way to get at this idea of basketball intelligence is to show the athletes some film of a play developing and basically say what's happening next. And there are a variety of different scenarios you can present to them in that way. So, for one example, Show them a fast break as it's developing and ask them who is going to score on the play. They, they, they watch you know, two or three seconds of the fast break developing. The video stops and they have to choose uh, which player is going to be scoring on that play. And so you have they are basically using the information they have from watching the film and understanding the game to see what's um, not from a basketball sense, the, the schematically right answer. But what's actually going to happen? Um, and so the ones who can answer that kind of question or other similar kinds of questions faster and more accurately should have higher basketball intelligence and therefore be more likely to be elite level basketball players.
2: Now, these two metrics of faster and more accurate. Let's talk about some players. Let's get into this discussion. And how, how would you apply these metrics to a specific example of a player?
1: Well, I, I think really that it starts with you know why I started to go down this path in the first place, and that is you know, I was doing draft analytics work, so using you know college performance to project NBA uh, success, and you know you build these models, and and you know I worked I worked for the Trailblazers and the Thunder for many years doing these kinds of models, and every time I built one, I I kept noticing the, the one player I I couldn't the models got better every year, but Steve Nash always failed to register as one of the best players. Like we, I couldn't build the model uh, without building just the Steve Nash model, which is not good statistics, uh, that without you know Steve Nash not being in sort of the top tier. And, and, and that seemed wrong and it bothered me. And I started to refer to Steve Nash as my nemesis. Like he, I, I gotta figure <laughs> out this guy, right? And so that's where I started to go down this path of like, all right, so what are we missing? What is the information that is missing that we need, and so the, the the concept then becomes all right. So college players are, you know, you can do really well in college by being a great athlete. If you're a great athlete, you can perform well in, in the college game, um, but everybody in the NBA is, is, a you know, there's a minimum standard of athleticism in the NBA is higher in the co- than college. And so you can't just bully your way through with just that pure athleticism in the NBA. There are too many examples we've seen. So in thinking about Steve Nash and thinking about the draft in general, it's like we make mistakes based on athleticism because most of our information is either a pure athleticism, you know, your combine measurements, your speed, uh, height, all that kind of stuff, you know, vertical jump, or it's, Colored by athleticism in terms of college performance, the piece that's missing is this basketball intelligence. We don't have a pure measure of it, so I designed this uh, tool that would, you know, provide the video, uh, collect the answers, time the, the answers, gauge how accurate the answers were. And when I was with the Thunder, we they, they we took this tool to the Portsmouth Invitational Tournament, uh, which is a, a collection of college players who are hoping to if they're really, really lucky, be the last pick in the NBA draft, are probably going to be undrafted free agents. Um, And most of the people at the Portsmouth Invitational are never going to play in the NBA. And so the Thunder took this tool and they gave it to uh, around 20 athletes there. Uh, And and it was a a brief five-minute quiz. I think there were about 15 questions that they answered. Um, And what was really interesting about that data uh, is that everybody did pretty badly except for one player. One player scored well, both on speed and accuracy, like well above everybody. And in the neighborhood of where we would expect a professional player to be, uh, relative to everybody else we had experimented with this on. Um, and he was the only player in, and none of those players ended up getting drafted, including this guy, but he's the only one to ever actually have a career in the NBA. And it's Kent Bazemore who had a Mm -hmm. Saturday, he's having a reasonable NBA career. Oh yeah. Um, my thesis, then, I obviously we don't have the data to prove this in any real way just yet. But the the thesis is, he separates himself because he has basketball intelligence, and his data, much like Steve Nash's data, probably didn't reveal that from in in, in college in the same way that it does that it uh, can uh, exp, you know be an advantage in the NBA.
2: Yeah, that example of Nash is obviously a good one, and Bazemore is a great one as well because he has exceeded a lot of expectations and a lot of ways came out of nowhere. And yeah. what we're hearing is that you know the the, the, the Thunder had a, a better information, so to speak, about him as a player, and ultimately that led to a uh, a shot that he got with the NBA and is making the most of it as well.
1: Yeah, and I want to be careful not to oversell what we did because it was really an experiment. We had this data point basically on him. We did not have a large enough data set to to really make a decision about it. But it is a strong anecdotal piece of evidence that this kind of information, particularly as we get better and better at measuring it, is going to be really important uh, in, in making these kinds of decisions.
2: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the goals of this podcast is we want to kind of get at the the additional data that is required for answering these types of questions. So I think thinking creatively, thinking big picture here, innovatively, what are some of the the data sources that you would love to have to more effectively measure basketball (laughs) IQ?
1: Well, so, I mean, the, 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 the easiest, easiest from a data, you know, having data perspective and to, to really get the best measurements, we need to hook everybody up to brain scan machines mm. uh, because we know what we do know about experts is they actually process the information from their field of expertise in a different part of their brain than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so if we could show basketball, you you know, hook up a player to, to brain scans and have them watch basketball and watch where their brain is reacting and processing things, then we'd know, that whether they have a well-developed basketball intelligence or not. That's probably not logistically possible, uh, ha- but we do have some other things. So we have this, you know, this sort of blunt tool that I've developed. If we can develop that more, get it more precise, more scenarios, more situations, it becomes a longer test uh, and and something that, you know, you, you really have to take time to put an athlete through, which is really one of the pushbacks from the front offices. They they don't have a lot of time to work to spend with these uh, draftees. And so they don't want to use 20 minutes in this test that you know, at this point is not really it's not proven. But now there have been developments in, in sports data that I think can really help and give us an edge to do this. And that is what they call player tracking data. We can use uh, cameras to optically track the, everything that moves on a basketball court 25 times a second. So now we know where everybody's moving constantly all the time. With that kind of data, you can devise systems to measure how, p- what people are reacting to and when people are reacting to them. So, for example, you take uh, uh, an athlete, uh, a defender, and watch when a player takes a shot. When, when the opposing team takes a shot, how are they reacting to that? And are they reacting differently whether the shot eventually goes in or is missed? Mm. Then we know whether that player is p- making the prediction in their own head, reacting to a missed shot or a, a made shot, Differently and making accurate predictions about it, uh, and so those are the kinds of situations we can start to measure and 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 find um, these types of basketball intelligence measures that eventually we can build up into a real all encompassing measure of uh, basketball intelligence that matters.
2: Yeah, I, I like that notion of basketball intelligence that matters. Certainly, when you look at the future here and you presented a bunch of compelling ideas, whether it be brain scans in the future or <laughs> leveraging the player tracking data today, I think just a few questions about limitations here that I think are important to, to, to talk about. And I want to get your reaction to some of these questions. So is, is basketball IQ a, a byproduct of the coach's system? Or do you see it as specific to the player's basketball expertise? We get into this debate a lot in football, yeah. for instance, about the success of a quarterback. You know, what, what is, the, what is the, the variable of the offensive or defensive system as it relates to basketball IQ?
1: Yeah, I, I think that basketball intelligence is not, doesn't manifest itself as one thing. And mm-hmm. so it's different in each player. What we care most about is whether it's at a high level. If mm-hmm. it's at a high level, then a good coach should be able to put that player in a position to succeed. Some systems, though, there will be sometimes where a player is just a bad fit to a system. Mm-hmm. So no matter how smart they are, it's just a bad fit. I mean, um, you know, we, we we can imagine if you know uh, you take somebody like 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 LeBron mm-hmm. and he is told to you know play play the five all the time, like right. and just do what a traditional five does. Like that would not be a good situation. He would probably do fine, right. but he wouldn't be LeBron. Right. Um, and so those are the kinds of, you know, system is important and affects performance, but to succeed at all in any system at the NBA level, at the truly elite level, there's got to be, you know, this level of intelligence.
2: All right, good. I, I, I'm following you there. Let me, let me pick up on this, this level of intelligence and ask you this question. Can someone have a high basketball IQ without a high level of natural intelligence? And, and, sure. and if so, how are teams, if at all, measuring intelligence generally?
1: So there, I, and I can speak only to you know the the teams that I've worked for mm-hmm. uh, in terms of sort of the general testing. And I've seen a variety of things in the marketplace that people are trying to sell to teams uh, about general. Not necessarily. There's some t- intelligence testing. Uh, you know, the NFL has has their measure that they do at um, uh, uh, during the combine, and they're all very general in in nature. And some of them are general psychological testing about you know profiles and things. Um, none of those things are really validated against performance on, on the court Mm -hmm, (laughs) or mm -hmm. the field of play in any way that I've seen. And, you know, you can have somebody who's not a, not very bright and still be a great, great basketball player. Mm -hmm. Um, typically, you know, the, the very, the very, very best are usually pretty intelligent people, Mm -hmm. but that there's no requirement that you have to be a genius in general to be, uh, a, a superior athlete. You just have to put the time in what you know, is often referred to in the literature as deliberate practice in to get to a point where your brain is functioning and processing things in the way an, a, an elite uh, basketball player does.
2: Yeah, that's, a, that, that's great. All right. We're going to get you out of here on this. want to ask you if you've got a prediction for the upcoming season. Is it Warriors <laughs> again? Where, where are you at? I guess where's your heart at and maybe what are the numbers telling you early?
1: OK, so we we clearly have the Warriors. I think we're you know, they're like 56, 57 percent chance to win the, the, the championship right now in our measures. Mm-hmm. So they're they're far and away the best team. But if we look back on last season, uh, we got to remember that, you know, the Rockets were really a, just a, a Chris Paul hamstring injury away from winning the Western Conference and then likely the, the whole thing. So there is some vulnerability there. Uh, so I like I like Boston and I like Houston to to make a run at at, at at Golden State this year a little bit but still if you had to put money down on it, you got to go Golden State at this point.
0: Okay host Ben what do you say did guest Ben make you a believer would NBA teams make fewer draft mistakes if they measured basketball IQ? You
2: know Paul I think we're getting there. I think Ben made a convincing case for a methodology to measure basketball IQ. I think to his point, we still need more and better data to effectively answer that question. But, but, but I think we're getting there. So, so I would say, yes, he, he did convince me that this is something to look at and to consider heavily going forward.
0: I think I'm largely a believer as well. I'm left with this one question um, about whether basketball IQ or basketball intelligence is just simply intelligence. I think Ben um, had an interesting take on that, but I'm still left not entirely sure that there's a distinction. I really look forward to seeing more research and more data on that. Okay, so let's bring in our producer, Mary Dew.
3: Hey, Paul. Hey, Ben.
0: All right, Mary, what do you say? Thesis, yay or nay?
3: I'm going to go with yay. Now, I'm not any kind of expert on basketball or the draft. However, I would say that I, I buy this argument. Obviously, there are things that need to be done in terms of the actual measuring and the techniques to be doing that. But for me, I'm just thinking about sports in general. I was a competitive swimmer, and I think a lot of athletes always have this kind of X factor um, that you can't quite explain. And so when I heard the guys talking about uh, basketball IQ – I see it as sort of a way or a path to start defining and measuring what I see as an X factor. So, you know, I don't necessarily think it's it's intelligence, but it's it's a way to think and almost feel about a sport. Um, and so, in my opinion, you know, I, I buy it. That said, you know, I'm not the person doing the NBA draft and losing the money to spend the extra time to do it. But, but I would say, yeah, I would probably improve draft picks.
0: Thanks, Mary. Thanks, Ben. So we're in agreement. Three yay votes, and I think we're also in agreement that we want more data and more information. Maybe we'll bring back Ben a year from now and see how far we've come.
2: All right, that wraps up this week's episode of CounterPoints, the sports analytics podcast from MIT Sloan Management
0: Review. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever fine podcasts are streamed. And please take a moment to post a review. We really want to hear your feedback. We'll be posting new episodes every two weeks. CounterPoints is produced by Mary Dew. Our theme music was composed by Matt Reed. Our coordinating producer is Mackenzie Wise. Our crack researcher is Jake Menashi.